He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken. You will tell your kids, and your grandkids, and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise, and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Triple Threat Podcast on the two-man power trip of wrestling worldwide podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always on the two-man power trip, I am joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And somewhere in a remote location hidden in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is our other co-host. He is the one and only franchise, Shane Douglas. Shane, I don't hear any clicking on the line are you safe? Are you in a remote location as we get into yet another episode of the Triple Threat Podcast? I'm in the bunker, the franchise bunker buried deeply under Station Square, uh, downtown Pittsburgh, so we're safe. We're ready to roll. The deep state can't touch us, and we're going to roll with all the big topics today. And we said it last week, and we want to hit you over the head with this. We are not just your regular wrestling-related podcast. We are going to get into a lot of wrestling topics. We do that every single week. But we like to give you a different view on some world news, some world events, some world topics. We give you stuff from the sports world, the entertainment world. And kind of like that little company that operated in Philadelphia, we try to be different. And I think slowly but surely, Shane, we said it last week, but I want to reiterate it again. We're making a difference with every single episode, and hopefully after this episode's done, we will have done the same. Sounds good to me, man. It's, you know, I, I, I really, as everybody can listen, you guys know, have known me for a long time. Uh, the stuff I talk about, I really, I'm one of those dorks that really loves talking about this stuff and reading it and studying it, but also equally with professional wrestling. I mean, I've been in this business for as long as I've been in it because I, I'm a, as big a marker or bigger mark than anybody else that's out there for great wrestling. So to me, this is the best of both worlds. I get to talk world politics, international, national politics, and professional wrestling. What could possibly be better than that? Uh, it's fun. It's definitely uh, Monday nights are now a key night for me every single week because he's not just talking about something that we all love in wrestling, but we get to educate ourselves a little bit and get uh, – get some knowledge thrown out there to the masses. So here we are. I mean, this is a kind of 
Uh, crazy number that we keep on approaching every week. We're getting closer to 40 episodes in. And through 38, you know, we've given you so much. We've given you a lot of topics. And another thing I touched on last week was we surpassed 900,000 views on our YouTube channel. And, and this is really cool, too. And, you know, people can measure their metrics however they want. But, Shane, we passed 930,000 views and, and, and uh, adding 30,000 in one week. To me, that's a huge accomplishment because we had a big show last week when we talked about the Billy Jack Kane uh, story, the, the murder on the track. Right. And that to me was the big, that was the big takeaway, even though I didn't think we were going to really talk about it in great detail. And I still want to dive deeper into it, but uh, it's over 2000 views itself just alone in the first couple of days of being posted on YouTube, just that little snippet and, and to gain 30,000 views on YouTube. Again, something must be clicking right that, uh, you know, we keep on stepping on the right, uh, the right buttons and, and moving forward. Well, you mentioned you invoked earlier in the podcast uh, in this episode uh, a little company in ECW, uh, in Philadelphia that could, a company called ECW. Uh, we did it the same way back then. We didn't have a billion-dollar company behind us. We didn't have a Time Warner or a Panda Energy or a Titan Sports behind us. We had the ECW arena every three, three and a half weeks. And any one of those shows that we had not succeeded at, and any one of those shows that we shipped the bed, say, last month or three weeks ago, and tonight – the ECW arena was only a third or a half full, we might very well have been in trouble and be out of business that week. Um, so we're doing it the same way. The, the, you know, some of the bigger name guys that have been uh, you know, around that hung out in the WWE or WWF, uh, they have a lot, you know, obviously a lot broader uh, uh, spectrum of fans. Uh, but for us, I, I feel pretty solid with the fans that, that have followed the franchise for all these years and, and the two-man power trip, and we're putting this thing together. We're building slowly a podcast. I'd much rather build it that way because it's it's more real. It's more uh, organic, and I hate to use that word because it gets thrown around so much, but when you have the fans that have come, say they came in on week number one or week number 10 or 20 or 30 or 40, uh, suddenly you know they, they've listened to it, and now they're paying attention to it over the breadth of that time. Uh, chances are, once somebody has tuned into five or ten or thirty-eight episodes, they're probably going to be tuning in ne again next week. So I feel very secure in what we're doing. And for all the people that are out there listening to the podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you, because you're giving us an outlet to talk about stuff that, by and large, most other people, including mainstream media, are not talking about. Yeah, yeah, and, and when I take the clips that I, that I pull from this episode and I'll put it on the YouTube, obviously, you know, you've got some time constraints and people don't want to watch long, long videos or listen to long videos. I mean, I listen to YouTube when I'm in the car, but I know people yeah. don't want to hear the full episode. So you can download the full episode if you want, but when I go to YouTube and I pick out clips, I, I really try to encompass the full story. And a lot of times, you know, we'll ask a question and then we'll have some follow-up questions or We'll take one thing and we'll go into a story about something else. But the clips that really resonated over the last few weeks, like I said, was the Billy Jack Haynes uh, clip, the Jeff Jarrett going into the WWE Hall of Fame clip. And this is where I want to bring John into the conversation. And, John, the other clip that's gotten a lot of play was Shane talking about Kerry Von Erich. And what I thought was very interesting, reading through the comments under those videos, one thing that somebody said was that Kerry Von Erich has a lot of bad press out there and that they felt Shane's stories and Shane's recollections of his friendship 
with Terry Von Erich was something positive, something nice to hear. But do you kind of feel the same way, John, in that when we pick those clips to get out there, something positive, something different comes out of what we're talking about. And in this instance, a great story about Shane's friendship with Terry Von Erich. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just love any time we kind of mention a huge legend or not a forgotten name, but a name you haven't heard in a while or maybe a guy that passed away. I just love it. You go to Shane, and Shane has an awesome story and an awesome background with the guy. So it's not just like, oh, yeah, I met him here, there. No, Shane's got some awesome story attached to that wrestling legend. I, that's, that's my favorite part of it. Well, if I can jump in there, you know, the negativity on Kerry Von Erich, understand what was the precipice of that negativity? Uh, it wasn't that Kerry was out there and was involved in a steroid ring or was, you know, a, a child molester or God does well, the craziest other things we hear today. The stuff we heard about Kerry ad nauseum was uh, drug related, uh, namely opiates, pain pills. And uh, the fact that he had uh, had that uh, quad uh, quad cycle uh, crash where he had really mangled his foot and his ankle and then subsequently had to have it amputated. Uh, you know, I remember Kerry telling me, Every step you take, uh, he said, your foot's a shock absorber. And without that foot, this is once he knew that I knew he didn't have a foot. Uh, And he was very, very conscientious about this uh, to the extent that, you know, we'd get to the building. You guys have been at the wrestling buildings how many times? You get there, you unload your bag, you bullshit with the guys, you get dressed, prepared for your match. Carrie would go around the corner and like Superman in in a phone booth. He would go around the corner in blue jeans and a you know tight T-shirt or whatever, maybe cowboy boots. He'd be gone for literally five or six or seven minutes, and he'd come back and he'd be Texas Tornado, like like Clark Kent went into the phone booth and came out and he's uh, and, you know, and, and a lot of these buildings it's not like you can go around the corner. And there's a room there waiting for you. There are locked doors and locked hallways and whatever else, and it always astounded me how he was able to do that. But he told me uh, in the car one time, confided to me, he said, every step you take, your foot acts like a shock absorber. And so, you know, being that you have your feet, you don't realize it. But uh, when that foot is gone, every step you take, every jarring motion, you know, every time you hit the ground, that instead of going into the foot and dispersing through the foot, if you know about basic physics, his would go into his knee and his hip and, and then his lower back. And, you know, how many steps do you take in a day? Uh, how many steps did he take in a professional wrestling match? Go back and watch those matches. That, that's what it styles me. I was talking to a fan this past weekend, and uh, he was unaware that Kerry only had one foot. And I said, yeah, and I'm explaining it to him. I said, go back and watch those matches, and you'll see that his right foot never bends, the ankle never bends. And I said, now watch those matches and consider that you're watching a one-footed guy wrestle. Uh, guys like Perfect and, and Rick Rude and whoever else, and having incredible matches. It wasn't like you were watching a match and a guy sort of half a step. Kerry was, to me, just a, a goddamn thoroughbred, you know, that he was able to wrestle to that extent and that seamlessly with one foot. But because of all those steps, that impact that he had talked about going into his knee and his hip and his back, and the pain associated with that, the chronic pain associated with that, he became, as how hundreds of people in this business, if not far more, 
hundreds that we know that have died uh, from opiates and, and that slippery slope. And, you know, Carrie went down that path and, and uh, you know, sadly succumbed to it. You know, that the last time he got busted in, in, in Dallas, uh, the judge had had it. You know, he tried to be you know, that, that tough discipline. And he told him, if I see you in my courtroom again, well, it wasn't too much longer later that he was back in the courtroom again. And, and the judge told him, you know, get your affairs in, in order. I'm sending you away for a while. And uh, Carrie, at that point, you know, when you're when you're hooked on those opiates, I, I, I wish I could explain it to people in, in better ways than words because it's so difficult in words. But it is such a depressing thing. You, you're ashamed. Uh, you try to conceal and hide it. Uh, you know, and all these things go into that. And then uh, on top of that, you have legal pressures like, that Carrie was facing. And what breaks my heart is that Carrie was a deeply religious guy, very devout, and had mentioned his brother's suicide to me and said that you can't do that, man. You can't do that. It's against God's will. And then, you know, a handful of years later, he's in the same place. The fact that Carrie didn't think he could pick up the phone and call Kevin or somebody, Vince, me, um, he had a, everyone that knew Carrie loved him. Uh, if he, that he didn't feel he had the opportunity to do that and that it was better to do what he did than to just go ahead and face the consequences. I mean, it wasn't like he was going to go away for 20 years. You know, he's probably going to go away for six months or a year maybe, uh, if that. You know, they'd probably slap him on the wrist at best. But the fact that he felt that the only path forward for him was to do what he did, uh, you know, it's, it, 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 it breaks my heart to this day. So, yeah, there was negativity out there about Carrie. There's negativity about me. There's negativity about everybody, including the person who wrote that on, on, on that. Uh, you know, the last I checked, I haven't found a, a perfect human being yet. Uh, but, like I said, it would be different if Carrie was out there and selling drugs to kids or, uh, you know, doing something worse with kids or, you know, stealing from people or whatever. Carrie wasn't that kind of guy. Carrie got hooked up, as so many other people in the wrestling industry did, and the thing with that, and I'll end it with this, is in the wrestling industry, when I don't know a man on the planet that wouldn't do whatever he had to do to feed his family. And when you're in this industry and having to run 300, 330, 340 days a year, sometimes multiple shots per day, and you know that if you don't wrestle, you don't get paid. It's that simple. It's a very simple equation. Don't perform, there's no paycheck. On top of that, if you go to the promoter and you say, hey, uh, Mr. McMahon, hey, Mr. Watts, hey, Mr. Uh, 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 Crockett, I can't wrestle tonight because I'm in a lot of pain and I need to take the night off. You're going to get stamped with unreliable or uh, or a, a pussy, a chicken shit, you know, a, a weakling. And you're not going to be kept in that same position. So everybody ad nauseum in the business is protective of that. They don't want to slide themselves down that card and make even less money. And so they start to self-medicate. Uh, I'm not justifying any of it. I'm just explaining it right now. And, uh, you know, that Carrie in the pain that he was in knew he couldn't very well go to Vincent Mann and say, hey, Vince, I'm in a lot of pain. I need to take 
you know, a couple months off, whatever. And, you know, just continue, continue down that slope. And we know after 306 cases in my time frame of my friends that have ended up on that short end of that stick, uh, you know, it's easy to sit and judge, <clears throat> excuse me, it's easy to sit and judge somebody else. But, you know, the old saying goes, until you walk a mile in their shoes, very few people on the planet understand what professional wrestlers go through. And I'm not saying that like a whine or a complaint. We, we entered the industry because we love it. And I still love it. Uh, but, you know, it, it, when you start saying, you know, you, you tell a teen 17, 18-year-old kid, you're going to go on the road and be a rock star for 340 days a year. They go, hey, shit, sign me up. But when you're a 35-year-old man or a 40-year-old man, and you've been going up for 20 years, and the, the injuries have racked up, and you're in a ton of pain, and you have bills to pay, and you have a family to feed. What do you do? Do you say, well, screw it, I'm not going to worry about feeding my family or putting a roof over their head or food in their mouths. Uh, I'm just going to go sit on my ass for a couple weeks um, or a couple months. Ain't going to happen, especially when you know the negativity that's going to come from the promotion for that. So you self-medicate. Uh, like I told the FBI jerk who called me after the Chris Benoit uh, debacle, uh, I said, you know, how long could you run that schedule, Mr. Uh, you know, uh, FBI guy, uh, before you had to drink something, smoke something, pop something, snort something, or shoot something to numb yourself to the physical and emotional pain? Uh, because they're both there. Imagine not, uh, Chad, you've got daughters. Uh, we've all got kids here. Uh, imagine not being there for her first words, her first steps, her first day of school, her first birthday, uh, because you're on the road making money for somebody else. Then on top of that, you have the injuries that rack up, uh, even, you know, the business being a work, it's easy for them to conceal that somebody's hurt. Uh, they're not going to come out tonight and say, Hey everybody, the franchise is hurt tonight. So he's going to take it easy in the ring. They conceal it and you have to go out and perform to a certain level. I've never met anybody in the business that wanted to go out and be half of their character. They want to go out and continue to deliver at that character's level that, they, that the fans expect. So you wrap these things together, you have a perfect storm for creating uh, the basis for addiction, and, uh, and we know the outcome of that. And, and Carrie, unfortunately, succumbed to that. Uh, so if there's negativity about Carrie, that's what it is. Uh, me, I'm guilty. Uh, thank God I survived it. Um, and the vast majority of the people in my generation, the generation previous to mine, succumbed to the same thing. So, uh, you know, again, easy to sit and judge somebody, but when you take a step back and, and you know, to see the forest and the trees, and you have a full understanding of that, uh, it's a, it maybe puts it a little bit better explanation than just sitting there and saying, well, a lot of bad press about Kerry. The bad press about Kerry revolved around his addictions. Now, I don't know if you were there or not, but were, were you there for Kerry Von Erich? One of his last matches ever uh, was actually wrestling in ECW. I believe it might have been a part of one of the old uh, NWA conventions um, from the mid, well, really early 90s, but I believe it was January 1993. Were you a part of the show where Kerry Von Erich was, um, he was supposed to be a mass surprise wrestler, uh, but, you know, the legend is that he was a little, you know, little off when he got there came out to the ring in his full Kerry Von Erich jacket, kind of blowing the surprise as to who it was. And then, you know, 
Didn't really yes. perform that well in the ring. You, were you there that night? I was there. And when he came in, uh, you know, he, like I said, he and I traveled, you know, thousands of miles together in the car, uh, worked out together every day in the, in, in the gym. He came in and kept introducing himself to me. And I knew then, you know, that he, that he was bad off. Uh, and then like you said, the, you know, we got to laugh about it in the dressing room when he came out with the Carrie Von Eric stuff on in the mask. Uh, but, you know, looking back on it, it's sort of pathetic. You know, I mean, it's heartbreaking, you know, that you have a guy of that stature, uh, you know, that ability level and being that far down the road. To me, that tells me, again, having gone through, not like I'm an expert on it, but having been through the addiction, that tells me that he had just rolled over to it. You know, it doesn't matter. If I blow the gimmick, it doesn't matter because I'm not even thinking about it. You know, it's just I'm going to put my, put my robe on or my jacket on, whatever, and go to the ring. He's not even thinking about that point uh, because he's so far gone into the addiction. You know, and, and that to me, it was heartbreaking to me because when he kept coming up the first, like first, second, third time, I thought he was ribbing me. And then when he kept doing it, uh, you know, I immediately knew. Like he's off. There's something wrong here, you know. And uh, but yeah, I was there for that. And uh, you know, he, he obviously in that condition was not going to be able to go to the ring and put on a Kerry Von Eric performance or a Texas Tornado performance. Um, I mean, let's face it. Anybody who ever watched his career knew that boy could go in the ring. Um, uh, you know, clearly uh, it, it was getting the better of him at that point and. You know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I kicked myself in the ass. I didn't say something or try to do something at that point. But the last thing you expect, you see this guy on one foot able to perform at such an extraordinary level. You don't think that, you know, taking some pain pills is going to be a problem. Um, but, you know, it obviously was. And, we, you know, we've seen that story so often, uh, too often. Uh, that we we know the, uh, the the final chapter of those stories in most cases, and that match is on YouTube. And uh, if anybody wants to see what we're talking about, that match is I think it's broken up into two videos. Uh, is on YouTube, and, and the the funny thing is about it is that he takes on Salvatore Belomo, who, if you don't know much about the early days of ECW, as hard as it might be to believe. Good old Salvatore Belomo was a huge part of the early days of ECW. So uh, that match is out there. You can kind of see what we're talking about. And if you read a little bit more about that show, you'll know a little bit more of the backstory. But that's really cool to know that uh, you were there for that, Shane, and that um, you know you got to uh, kind of give us a little bit of insight. But that's exactly what we're talking about with this show and the stuff that we can bring up. So I, I want to move forward a little bit. Please continue to support us, whether it's with the downloads or via YouTube. Um, you can get us basically at your fingertips whenever you want. And uh, John had made a point here uh, just before we were talking about Kerry Von Eric that, you know, we could just bring up somebody passing and, and sadly they do end up passing away. And that was the case with the Z-Man uh, where we just brought him up, I believe through uh, an Ask Franchise Anything question. And then very, very sad uh, a few weeks later, you know, the Z-Man passed away. Um <clears throat> But I digress. But before we get into one little wrestling topic here in, in just a minute, which I know, Shane, you got a lot to say. Uh, how was your weekend in Ohio this past weekend? Uh, I know maybe not barbed wire cage matches like the last time you passed through uh, <laughs> the great state of Ohio, but 
How was uh, how was wrestling in Ohio this past weekend? Uh, I was in. Uh, uh, it's spelled Oregon, but you get corrected very quickly. It's Oregon, Ohio, and uh, it's right on the outskirts of Toledo. I uh, had a great time. I had my trainer and mentor Dominic Panucci with me again, and uh, you know, for me traveling up and down the roads with him, it takes me back literally to being a kid in the business again. You know, they just being in the car with him and listening to the stories. And what's extraordinary about it is for an 86 year old guy, he's sharp as a tack. Like he was telling stories this past uh, driving up to Toledo. And he's, you know, he's saying uh, April 9th, 1951 was my first day in Montreal it was a Friday. <laughs> I started laughing. I said, I can't say what the date was last Friday, let alone 60 years ago, you know, uh, uh, just extraordinary. But we got there, um, it was amazing because I had gone on Twitter and I had mentioned that he was going to be there. Well, the the boys, of course, just congregated around him, like sitting under the learning tree. And to Dominic, that's just that makes Dominic blossom because he loves getting that attention and uh, that somebody cares what he has to say. And uh, but during the show, unbeknownst to me or him. They the ring announcer gets into the ring and starts you know doing an intro and starts mentioning uh, you know 55 years of service to the industry and blah 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 legend and we start paying attention and he's calling Dominic to the ring and Dominic goes to the ring and they give him a lifetime achievement award and the entire building gave a standing ovation and uh, and I thought you know this is the kind of stuff that keeps Dominic going. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I hope he's around for the next 86 years. You know, it's, uh, but that's the kind of stuff that keeps him going. And he, the, the guy, the guy that was running the show, like sort of the floor runner, uh, came back and he said he was at ringside while they were doing the segment. And he said, boys, he said he had a twinkle in his eye. You know, as I'm sure he did, you know, this is the kind of stuff that's really cool. But to see the fans, probably 50% kids, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, and just looking up to him for what he is in the industry. You know, we, we, we throw words like icon and legend around really loosely, I think, these days. Uh, but Dominic is the real deal. You know, guy's been around the industry that long and done what he's done in the industry, trained who he's trained into the industry, including me and Mick Foley and Mark Hilde, uh, uh, Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis, uh, Cody Michaels, and so many others. Uh, Dominic has left an, uh, you know, indomitable uh, stamp on the business. And, uh, you know, for me, it was just very cool to, to, to see. And then you know, I had a match, uh, uh, with Sean blaze and, uh, you know, he went out and ran his mouth a little bit and with Dominic sitting next to me, you know, starts talking about, you know, you so-called legends and stuff like that. And, you know, going really sharp on the mic, uh, you know, and then when Dominic was getting this, this award handed to him, the announcer said, well, how do you think your protege is going to do tonight? <laughs> and, you know, Dominic said, well, if he doesn't win, I'm going to kick his ass. <laughs> you know, so he put even more pressure on me. Uh, <laughs> but just exactly what I would have expected from Dominic. You know, it's, uh, it, was, it was a great weekend. We had a lot of fun and uh, looking forward to going back. We'll be going back there, I think, in May. Not April, but next time uh, in April, of course, when they have their show, we'll be at WrestleCon uh, at WrestleMania. Uh, but the following month, the, the the next ABW show or WBW show will be in in Oregon, uh, Ohio, and the outskirts of Toledo will be uh, there again. Me and Dominic. So 
Looking forward to it. Met some great, great fans up there. Uh, and, and if I may, it's another little side story to this. Uh, on the way up, uh, my roommate from college, the, the, I've talked about before, the judge uh, in Norwalk, Ohio, uh, we were going to stop at his house. We were going to go up the day before, but uh, his wife, who's a nurse, had come down with the flu and didn't want to give it to Dominic or me. Um, but on the way up, we, we were making good time. So there's a really great buffet there in town. And Dominic was ready for lunch, and I was ready for lunch. So we pulled off, jumped in. And as we're sitting there eating and talking, uh, I see a guy, like, looking at me, but he's giving me almost like a hard look, you know, like sizing me up almost. And then Dominic gets up to go, and I see him looking at Dominic. I'm like, what's this guy doing? Well, we're sitting there eating, and the woman comes over, and she says, excuse me, gentlemen, uh, uh, the man uh, sitting next to you over there, uh, he paid for your, for your lunch. And I saw him over in the doorway, so I called him over, and I said, uh, you didn't have to do that. And he said, no, I said, I'm just a really big fan. And he said, I can't believe Dominic Canucci's here. And you know, we started talking. and started, His name was Justin from Norwalk, Ohio. So if he's listening to the podcast, I'm sure he is. Uh, thank you very much. It was, it was a, you know, a really cool thing to do and much appreciated. And uh, like Dominic said afterwards, he goes, huh, I see still a lot of good people in the world. And, uh, you know, so even at this, at this nice, uh, age of 29, 39-ish, uh, Dominic's still teaching me things every day. And it's been a great time. It was a really, really good day to be with Dominic and, and, and it met a lot of great people. Very cool stuff. And very cool that you got, uh, free lunch there from a fan. So that's, uh, that's pretty damn cool. Now, I just wanted to bring this up quickly uh, as far as just a little bit of other wrestling news, and I'm sure you saw this because it was all over the place, but Sammy Callahan, Eddie Edwards, Impact Wrestling, <laughs> Impact tapings were done a couple weeks ago, but it was just revealed on Thursday when the, when the actual, I guess, show was due to air. Uh, I think actually might have been recorded in January. I mean, that's how many tapings that they've been doing, but um, Sammy really kind of, making a little bit of an ass of himself on social media. I don't know if he's playing up a heel character or if he's being serious or what, but he really is getting a ton of heat for this angle. Is he coming off bad or is he coming off heelish? Obviously the angle is he meant to hit the baseball bat into the chair of Eddie Edwards, ended up slipping and basically full swing right into Eddie Edwards' eye, breaking his orbital bone. Did you see that? Yeah. thoughts? Oh, I, I did see it. Uh, I had multiple people send it to me, and I didn't watch it initially. Uh, you know, when you, uh, you know, on your phone you get it just says, you know, tap here to preview. And I didn't tap on it for a while, and I kept getting, you know, it kept, things kept, it kept coming in from other people. And uh, so when we got to the building on Saturday, I opened it up, and Dominic and I are standing around watching with a bunch of the young guys in the dressing room. And when the hit comes – all of us simultaneously, I jerked like, Oh shit. You know, it's, uh, uh, I don't want to say to that, uh, you know, accidents can happen, but accidents are likely to happen when you don't take precaution and under no circumstances should you ever be swinging a chair in any direction that you could hit somebody in the face or I mean a, a baseball bat where you could hit somebody in the face with it. Um, you know, we've all made mistakes in the ring, and I'm sure Sammy didn't mean to do that. But when you see it, it's it's so nauseating. 
uh, you know, the, the, the I was telling the guys in the dressing room and Dominic verified, we were taught, drilled into us over and over again. Rule number one is you take care of your opponent. Meaning, if you can hit a move 99 times out of 100, but that one aberrant time here and there, you, you screw it up, you don't do it. You don't attempt to do it. Uh, because the last thing in the world you want to do is cripple somebody or, you know, break somebody's orbital bone or, you know, something worse. Um, what do you say afterwards if you're a quadriplegic? Gee, sorry, John, I dropped you on your head. I'll see you, see you, see you down the road someplace. Uh, you know, the, 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 the idea, you know, the, the, this to me goes to the crux when we hear the word fake. Fake just drives me crazy because it implies that it's being done with smoke and mirrors and special effects and you're not really taking the impact of those bumps. Every bump you see is being taken. There's no way to, uh, to, to not feel that impact. True, we are trained to, to, to learn how to fall and do those types of things, you, know, you know, to minimize that. But still, when you take a 250-pound guy and slam him from five or six feet in the air or higher, uh, if it's on the top rope or something, that impact is felt. And uh, like anything, you know, if you keep hitting potholes with your car, after a while those impacts take, take its toll and you know, throw your car out of alignment, bend a, a rim, uh, blow a tire or something. The same thing with the human body. So, but that's with precaution. When you do something like, and for the people listening that haven't seen this, I, I can't imagine as many, but if you haven't seen this video, please Google it uh, because it is stunning to watch. Uh, the first thing I notice is when Sammy throws the chair in from outside, he sort of throws it like just caution to the wind and damn near hits the referee in the head with it. Uh, the referee luckily was watching got the hell out of the way. Um, so there's mistake number one. Then he comes into the ring, and the chair is ostensibly supposed to be placed, I guess, over Eddie Edwards' face. But it's nowhere near Eddie Edwards' face is the problem. It's not like it was he missed by half an inch because the chair was half an inch off. The chair was nowhere near in a position to protect his face. And he swings this aluminum baseball bat like you would swing a sledgehammer at a carnival to ring the bell and hits him right in the face with it. Uh, if you're a fan of heart, you may want to freeze it as he's getting ready to swing. But when you watch it, it's just nauseating. Uh, the work of our business, as opposed to the word fake, the work of our business is our job is to go out and convince you, the viewer, that we're doing something that we're not. Uh, you know, hurting each other, beating each other, throwing each other around, slamming each other. Uh, the idea is to put the show on to entertain the crowd, the audience, and give them their money's worth, to forget about their nine-to-five job, their problems at home, their jerk neighbor, whatever. Uh, not to go there and literally physically hurt each other. Because let's face it, I can go hire, I can walk in any bar tonight and say, uh, hey, you and you and you, come on with me. You lay down here and you swing a baseball bat and hit him in the face with it. Um, that takes zero talent uh, and takes a modicum or a heaping dose of stupidity. Uh, 
it, it, from from the outside looking in, as a veteran in this business for quite a long time, it looks to me like my rule number one that was instilled and beaten into me, take care of your opponent, has it's not just been sort of pushed to the side, it's been sanitized out of the industry. And, you know, so I go back over the last year and we see people's teeth shoved up into their gums and, you know, uh, you know, dislocated fingers and, uh, you know, some really serious injuries. And you see, you know, Daniel Bryan retired in his mid thirties from too many concussions. Uh, you know, we can go on and on down this list. Clearly there is something going wrong in the industry. There should not be these number of injuries, and especially these types of injuries. I said when I first watched the video, I don't know who was dumber, the guy that swung it or the guy that was laying there to take it. Because I can tell you right now, there isn't a chance in God's green earth that I would lay there and let you swing a baseball bat anywhere near my face. And if I saw, if I was stupid enough to say, okay, I'll let you hit the chair, and the chair was as far away as it was in this video, I would have ruled the hell out of the way. There was no way I would sit there and take that hit. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. When I, after watching that video, I, I don't know what to say about the accident itself. As far as the follow-up, uh, you know, Sammy's out there, you know, and saying this and that. Look, Sammy's a good guy. I've met him several times. Uh, I, I know him fairly well. Uh, he, he's not a jerk. He's not a bad guy. But I think he's probably now trying to turn, as Dusty would say, chicken salad into chicken shit, or chicken shit into chicken salad, and uh, you know, and going along with that. But on the social medias today, you know, where the, the the feedback is almost instantaneous, and everybody gets the inference that they want to get. So if they think you're a jerk, and you say one plus two equals three, they're going to say, "Oh, see, he's a jerk. I knew it." If they think you're a baby face, you say one plus three equals three, and they say, see, what a great guy. Uh, the inference is in the listener's ear and in their head. Uh, but when you go out there and you're trying to walk walk this line and then engage guys like Cornette, <laughs> you know, I love Jim Cornette, but he's not a guy you want to engage on the social medias and get in a tip or tat with. Um so I don't know. I, I mean, to me, if, if I were TNA right now, I'd be really concerned about potential lawsuit uh, because think about how the process runs. Shane Douglas is your agent. Uh, I'm hired by the company to oversee to make sure Chad and JP have a safe match. Then you guys go out and do something like that. Either I okayed it or you guys went into business for yourself. Either one is bad for the company. Uh, then to actually do it, like, uh, at no place along the line did nobody go, this doesn't sound safe. We may not want to do this. Uh, and yet we see the video. And so we know that it went through all those processes that are in place to safeguard against that kind of thing. And yet it still happened. Just utterly stupid on every level. And I, I don't know what else to say about it. That's not to take a dig at anybody uh, or point a finger at anybody. It just was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my industry. 
crazy that the the bat itself wasn't gimmicked, but if you really think about the actual spot itself, why was he at, at towards his head when he was aiming the you know, the technically the bat should have been aimed towards his stomach. He should have been parallel or even with his stomach and done it that way. This way right. the pit fire, you're just gonna go right into the mat. So I mean total screw up and New Jack used to do a spot like that all the time. You know, he looked like he was reckless with it, but, you know, at least he wasn't swinging at the guy's face like that. I mean, I'm sure there were other yeah. guys. Maybe he was on purpose, but he never did a stupid spot like that where he breaks the guy's orbital bone. Do you blame Sammy more in that case? Do you blame Eddie? Do you blame them both, you know, Eddie, for being a part of the spot? Like, who do you blame? I, I blame The first person I blame is the agent. Whoever the agent was on that match, and I have no idea who it was, but whoever the agent was, that allowed that to happen, uh, like you said, why not use a gimmick bat if you're going to do that kind of a spot? Uh, so, I mean, this, this, there are safeguards built in when it's done properly to make sure, to, not that you can ensure that that's not going to happen, but you try to take as much of the risk out as you possibly can, i.e. using a gimmick bat, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, as an agent, the agent is supposed to be somebody that has some experience in the business. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting running through my head because I've been an agent and running through my head. And I can't imagine in any way that I would have approved that spot, uh, especially with a real bat. Um, it's just, just, there's too much risk for injury. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, so I, I think there's enough blame to go all around. You know, I mean, like I said, Sammy swinging it, knowing that the chair was nowhere in position to protect his face. uh, Like, again, it wasn't like it was off by half an inch. That chair was nowhere near in position to protect his face. And then Eddie Edwards, uh, you know, I hate to say it because the poor guy got hurt, but laying there knowing that the chair is not in position to protect your face. And, you, I mean, you can see this thing coming. You know, it's not like you're when you're in the ring and something you're going to this kind of a, 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 a dangerous spot. And I've never been in a position of this kind of dangerous spot, but you know, something that like you know coming off the top rope or whatever, you're paying attention. You're you're watching to see is he in position? Is my opponent coming down at the proper trajectory? Is he going to land close or you know too close? Uh, and if it gets to the point, well, it's sort of in, in your mind, in your mind's eye, it's going in slow motion. And when you see that kick coming too close, or that over jump, or where you know, you know, where this isn't a good position, then you protect yourself. You put your arms up, you put your hand up, you roll out of the way. Uh, but to sit there and, and with your arms down at your side and watching the swing come. Ah, I mean, even sitting here talking, I'm getting goosebumps because in my mind's eye, I can see that video. And that kind of an injury should never, ever in a thousand years happen in our industry. Uh, So I blame TNA for allowing it to happen uh, vis-a-vis putting an agent in position that didn't even know what he was either know it, it didn't either know what he was doing or didn't care what he was doing or didn't take the time to run through what was going to be done to analyze whether it would be a risk for injury on paper you could see there's going to be risk for injury um 
you know, an imbecile could see that. And let alone somebody's got experience in the industry. And then the guy swinging the bat, me, if you said, Hey, we're going to have a guy laying there swinging a baseball bat at his face and a real baseball bat. And I'd say, no, thank you. I'm not going to do that spot. I'll hit him in the gut. I'll hit him on the back. I'll do whatever I'm not doing that spot. And then for Eddie to lay there and take it. Uh, so, you know, finger point all around because there's plenty to go around. But again, it should never happen in this industry when it's done properly. Scary uh, sight and crazy to think. Um, a good worker like Eddie Edwards, big fan of his, uh, always sure. really a good worker. Sick Gary to see that, you know, he's not going to get the paycheck for a couple weeks. He's going to be out, or more than a couple weeks, he's going to be out for a while. You know, he's going to have to uh, get that orbital bone fixed and a surgery and this and that. It, you know, it just, uh, you know, your heart kind of goes out to him like that. When it sure. gets injured, you know, when a guy gets injured like that, what do you think? Are you thinking, you know, kind of in your head, oh, my God, you know, I, you know I've been there. I, I've had injuries like that. I've been put on the shelf, stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it get hurt. I think my mic popped out hold on a second. Nobody get hurt ever. But, uh, you know, they, they they do happen. And so, obviously, you think about that afterwards. But, again, on paper, this, you know, typically uh, a, a, a stunt, I, I guess is the layman term, for would be for what we call a high spot. They all have some degree of danger in them. I mean, you, you watch any show you want and you can see that. Uh, the, the question is uh, risk management. You know, how much risk is there? Is there, is there too much risk to manage? Is it impossible to manage the amount of risk? And when you come to that assessment, you say, okay, well, let's change it then and do something different because we can't do this safely. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, again, like I said, it shouldn't have happened. Somebody along the line should have stopped that long before it ever did happen. But now, you know, they're, they're in the very unenviable position of everybody talking about it. So you can't not, not talk about it. And, but if you talk about it, you know, especially in Sammy's position as the heel, you know, if you go out and play your character, you're coming across as a real, you know, it's, it's not heel heat. It's coming across as, as bad heat, you know, that uh, to try to safeguard against it. The best thing to be like, like say somebody like Jim Cornette. Jim came out and made his, made his feelings known and made his comments. And why would Sammy engage him? Why even comment on it? Let it be. Let the let the comment sit and st- stand as, as it was. And Cornet's fans are going to talk about it and you know make their comments. But why would Sammy make a comment off of what Cornet was saying? It's, you're, you're you're inviting the problem. It uh, and again for a company TNA has been around for a while doing this, even with you know multiple owners, but still. You know, somebody in that company should have said to somebody coming back from that ring, do not go public with this until we have a unified front of what we're going to say, and do not engage on the social medias. Clearly and obviously somebody didn't say that. It's it's like an amateur independent company. Yeah, they probably could have done something where 
they they didn't air it or or maybe didn't show the shot or they, I don't know they could have done something differently maybe where this couldn't have gotten out there with where they keep showing the footage over and over again. Well, yeah, again, that's the other part of it is you know post production. You know, so we film something tonight and we run it through the the, the studio uh, and the editing bay how many times and yet it still makes air that they don't conceal it, which initially, whenever I first saw it, I thought to myself that there's a good likelihood this is a work because why would they show it otherwise? And then you see the after effect, you know, the, the, the damage, you know, to Eddie's uh, orbital bone and, and in a larger sense here, we, you know, we've, we've heard so much about CTE and head injuries, not just in wrestling, but across all the combat sports and, and, and physical sports. If you fractured your orbital bone, undoubtedly you have some level of, 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 of head trauma. So, you know, it's, I mean, this thing has bad written all over it, front, front to back. If it is a work, which I don't think it is, but if it is a work, then boy, somebody in TNA should have their head examined because they're now going out and doing a storyline about presenting the very injuries that our industry and all their major sports has been involved with, CTE. Not a smart thing. I don't see how how you uh, – that sounds like something one of Vince's writers would come up with. That How do you paint that pretty? How do you put a positive spin on this uh, down the road? You know, and, and I, I just don't see, either from a work perspective or trying to manage something that's gone awry, uh, not being professionally handled. I don't know who is in charge of that, who's running it, or who's making these moment-to-moment, day-to-day decisions. But somebody clearly doesn't know what they're doing there. That's almost the perfect segue to the Oscars because it's down big time in the ratings. <laughs> I don't know who put that thing on or who thought that was a good idea. Or, or Kimmel, who used to do the man show, talking about juggies and had naked girls on trampolines, and now he's doing uh, you know, Me Too and all this other stuff. What are your thoughts on the the sham of the Oscars last night? Because before it even started, you had all these armed guards with guns, and then all of a sudden, you know, the hypocrisy hits even before yep. the show starts. This look, this is, and everybody knows where I want to go with this, but this is the hypocrisy of the left. You know, so no, let's not arm teachers to protect our students, and let's take all the guns away because that's our that's our. Uh, uh, intention from the beginning and last night at the Oscar ceremonies LAPD had 500 armed police guards at the Oscars just the, just the LAPD they also had their bomb unit on site they also had snipers on site then the feds had an unknown number of additional people you can damn well bet that every one of those 500 officers was armed, that every one of those bomb squad people was armed, that every one of the feds there was armed. So these people who scream out, take guns, take the guns, take the guns, take the guns, what was the rapper that said something about the NRA being in God's way? Whew, man. I mean, you, you talk about being a bit pretentious. and uh, But they're all being guarded as they sit there by probably a thousand or better 
heavily armed people. Nobody sees the hypocrisy there because I sure as hell do. And like you said about Jimmy Kimmel, and I love Jimmy Kimmel. I, I, I love his show when, it's, when he's not talking politics. Uh, he's great at comedy. Jimmy, please stay to comedy. You know, let the movements go to somebody else, especially because of the hypocrisy of, you know, it'd be like Charles Manson suddenly starting a, uh, uh, a prenatal class, you know, after what happened to Sharon Tate. I mean, it's that absurd. And when you look at the, at the Oscars, I mean, it's starting to preface with the lowest rated Oscars in history. And it's 90-year history. It's the lowest rated Oscars in history. That's astounding. And, you know, they, you, they can tell themselves, well, ratings are down across the board and this and that and the other thing has nothing to do with the politics. Uh, it may not all be about the politics, but there's no question that this beating you over the head with their political point of view and, and the finger pointing, for instance, Fran McDormand, who, who got up and, and uh, uh, won an award, she, in, in, in all fairness of, uh, you know, openness, uh, she's a former Bethany alumni. Well, she's a Bethany alumni, not a former alumni. She's a Bethany alumni. Went to the same college I did. Uh, phenomenal actress. Uh, from Fargo to Three Billboards Outside Billings. Uh, you know, and, and a million things in between. A fantastic actress. Uh, or I, I guess I should be politically correct and say actor. Um but she gets up on the stage and she says, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, I'd like all the female uh, nominees to please stand up. And, they, and then asks Meryl Streep, and they all stand up in this moment of empowerment, right? This is the women are finally shedding these bonds. Uh, but it only takes you about three seconds or as fast as you can type to type in Meryl Streep, Harvey Weinstein. And at the 2012 Grammys, she gushes and calls Weinstein God. So which is it? Is he a pariah <laughs> that we should all destroy today? And I believe he is based on the reports, if they're true, that I've heard. Or is he God six years ago? Um, but back to Francis McDormand. She asks all the female nominees to stand up. What about the male nominees in the room? They don't matter. They didn't do something phenomenal this year and, and work their asses off to get the same recognition. Uh, it's, it's just astounding to me that people, you know, for, when you go from the left and you hear them constantly talking about diversity and we have to be all inclusive, well, all females in the room stand up with is, is, is code speak for, Hey, you male sons of bitches stay in your seats. Uh, is that being all inclusive? Uh, it, it is just stunning to me. A, the hypocrisy of it, B, the ignorance of it. You know, if I sit here and say, I'm the most wonderful human being on the world or on the planet or in the world, and then turn around and say, hey, you know, take drugs in the back door. You know, shave the numbers on the, over there. You know, rip that person off here like this. Uh, you, you, if you're going to point out 
that you're all that in a bag of chips, then you damn well better not have any skeletons in your closet. Uh, like Megan Kelly found out after she made her comments uh, about the locker room talk. Uh, I mean, this is craziness. This is absolute craziness. You know, the women that succeeded last night and, and won and, and did a phenomenal job and all the nominees, kudos to. They did a fantastic job, and they deserve the recognition. So, too, do the men in the room. And just because, you know, there's this uh, uh, Me Too movement or uh, what's the other one? Me Too and uh, Never Again. Time's right? up. Isn't that the other one? Time's up. Time's up. That's it. Time's up, yeah. So, you have these different – is everything today a movement? Is, you know, I walk out the door tomorrow and I stub my toe on my on – my, do I start a movement, no more stubs? I mean, is that how the world works now? Everything becomes a uh, – you know, and then the stuff of boycotting, right? So now we're going to boycott uh, – and I don't want to get too far off the Grammys, but we're going to boycott companies that associate with the NRA because the NRA is bad evil, um, which goes hand-in-hand back to – the armed people that were securing the Grammy location last night. Can't be both ways, guys. You know, you can't be, let's sanitize the planet of guns, but let me go in behind my barricaded uh, wall here that I live behind and have this entourage of heavily armed people around me as I get into my bulletproof limousine, you know, and yet you minions out there somehow, you, you just manage on your own. Uh, I, I I keep seeing in my head the word hypocrisy in capital letters because it is so glaring and so ignorantly obvious that I, I was talking to a, a college classmate of mine yesterday and I said, Dr. Osman would have eviscerated us by now in the classroom because everything you said he challenged, everything you said you had to validate not with a point or two, with multiple points and multiple facts, and they better be correct or he's going to tear you an asshole on that. Now today, it's all about feel, feelings. Well, I feel you're threatening me, JP and Chad, so I need to go to my safe space. and That makes you bad people because I feel threatened by you. Uh, it, it's insanity. It is absolute insanity. And I didn't watch the Grammys last night, but I certainly, you couldn't miss it today. It was on the radio, on the television, online, every place you went. And uh, when I watch a movie, I don't care if the actor or actress is liberal, moderate, conservative, libertarian, communist, socialist. I really don't care. But when you suddenly then want to start beating me over the head with your beliefs, and then telling me that I'm somehow a bigot or a sexist or something because I don't agree with your point of view. Now that's taking it a bit far. I don't want, I don't need my political intonation for my entertainment. I went to school for it. I'm pretty well versed in it. And I don't need an actor to tell me what's up and what's down or to, or to think that I would give a shit what that actor thinks is up or down. Uh, again, the hypocrisy is jaw-dropping. It really is jaw-dropping. And, you know, you'd think that the Academy and that the entertainment industry might look at those ratings and go, hey, you know what? 
maybe we might want to start slowly veering back away from this and just get back to being entertainers, being phenomenal actors and rappers and singers and musicians, whatever. But maybe, just maybe, the, the, the larger world out there doesn't give a shit what our opinion is. Now, you know, somebody could come back and say, well, you guys talk about it on your show. Well, people tuning into this podcast tune in knowing that that's what we're going to be talking about. And, and they want that point of view. I, I've heard it ad nauseum over the last several months. I love the point of view from the show. Uh, you know, I agree with the stuff that you say. Uh, you know, or like I told you guys before we started, you know, the most negative comment I've had was, you know, I, you know, I don't agree with a lot of what you say, but I really enjoy the podcast. And that's fine. I, I don't, I would never have the expectation that everybody out there should listen to Shane Douglas as the exalted one on high bestowing the information on the minions and you have to think exactly like I think and do exactly like I do, or you're some kind of an ist. Um, which, you know, pretty much brings us to the boycotts, right? So you guys don't agree with me on point A or B. Well, that's okay. If you don't, don't you know, I'm Shane Douglas. I'm the exalted one. You don't think like I think. So now I've got to destroy you. I've got to, Hey, everybody, boycott Chad and, and, and uh, uh, JP because they don't think like I think. And boycott any businesses that do business with them because they don't think like I think. Uh, remember the song from Pink Floyd, Another Brick in the Wall? That is exactly oh, yeah. precisely what this is about. Uh, you know, If you're not like us, if you don't conform, then we somehow have to cast you out or destroy you or get rid of you. Uh, you're an aberrant piece. Um, scary shit. Scary, scary shit. Scary that people actually buy into this shit. That there are people that actually believe this stuff. And, you know, it goes back to like the, uh, what was it, the Screen Actor Guild Awards a few months ago, a month and a half ago, when Natalie Portman stands up and with uh, uh, Ron Howard, and they named the best director nominees, and of course they're all male, uh, and, and she says, of course, they're all male, and rolls her eyes, and the entire room goes, Ugh. Now let's say, <laughs> JP, you, you, you worked your ass off for 30 years in the, that industry, and you've come up with your Mona Lisa. You've created a masterpiece and you're a nominee and this bimbo gets up there and says and nominees are jp like you should be ashamed that you did something good because you're a male because you've got testicles hanging down between your legs like you had a choice in the matter um this is craziness I, i mean this is absolute craziness that you know, there's an. It seems to me there's a war on men. Suddenly, I never raped anybody, never sexually harassed anybody, never did any of that kind of stuff. You want to point your targets towards the guys that did that, but at the same time, go back and look at the Academy. Go back to I think it was a 2011 or 2012 Academy Awards when they bring up a guy by the name of Roman Polanski, who, by the way, was not in attendance because he's in exile. He can't come to America. Because he pled guilty and fled the country to giving quaaludes 
and having sex with a 13-year-old girl, a pedophile. Go back and watch the reaction, Google the reaction, uh, when Roman Polanski was given a special award. Watch uh, all the big-name actors and directors and producers just go crazy. Roman Polanski, yeah! Right? But me too. <laughs> and the crazy thing was, I don't know if you noticed this last night, you know, they were honoring all the change in, and diversity and the Me Too and everything else, but Kobe Bryant's Dear Basketball, one of the <laughs> best animated shorts, Kobe Bryant was allegedly raped a woman, and obviously he paid her off, and then he ended up buying his wife this huge, gigantic ring to make up for it, his whole story. But basically, you know, he kind of uh, had a huge allocation of rape in Colorado a couple years ago. That got swept under the rug because he made, you know, Dear Basketball and he wins the award. Very strange. A little bit of a hypocrisy again. Absolutely. But you're just part of that vast right-wing conspiracy, aren't you, JP? Because that had <laughs> nothing to do with anything. He was just a he was just a misunderstood guy that, you know, the the police and and again we, this could this is possible but not usually likely if somebody if the police department's going to come out against a huge name like Kobe Bryant you can pretty much bet that there's probably some evidence there uh, but truth you know truthful enough that he wasn't found guilty of anything but clearly it's there it's it's the it's the nine hundred pound pink elephant in the corner of the room and as they're doing all this gushing about all this liberation of women and all the other stuff. And then boom, we're going to give an award to this guy for this thing. You know, look, I learned a long time ago that my shit stinks. And, uh, so I'm not going to sit there ever and stay next to somebody and go, your shit stinks and mine doesn't. Cause I know mine does. Uh, but that's exactly what we're seeing here in full display under glaring lights on national television broadcast around the world of how perfect we are and how correctly we're getting everything in this utopia we're creating. Uh, by the way, you know that Marx talked about utopia too, Karl Marx, that is, uh, the, the, the founding father of communism. Uh, go back and look at pictures. Did you ever see a picture from Russia that you go, Wow, that place looks beautiful. I'd like to go there sometime. It always looks gray and dingy, and you know, there's, like the streets look like something like the 1940s. And here, I mean, it's just uh, you know, and this is the stuff we keep on hearing, like especially in this thing with with the the, the uh, Academy Awards last night. There's all these 900 pound elephants in the room. The theater was chock full of 900-pound elephants last night, and they're talking about how they walk on water and nose in the air how we're so much better than you. And and America, if you were just more like us, everything would be rainbows and lollipops. (laughs) How many people in that room was on Harvey Weinstein's casting couch? How many of those got up and walked out and smacked him in the face? How many of them called the police, pressed charges? None. And now we're supposed to suddenly go, well, that poor baby. You know, they, you know, she was sexually harassed or abused. I'm missing the point that if there was somebody putting a gun to somebody's head and saying, okay, 
Chad or JP, there's a gun to your head. Now you've got to stay here and sit on this casting couch. And that's, you, you don't have a choice in the matter. Um, I, I'm, I, please don't take this as me giving any kind of free, get out of jail free card to Harvey Weinstein. That's a piece of shit. If the things that I'm hearing are true, and it certainly looks like they are. But to suddenly turn this around as to their, they were victims. They had, to me, a victim is the Holocaust survivors. Somebody that was at gunpoint, put into a concentration camp, and starved and worked to death and murdered at will. Those are survivors. Um, you know, somebody that is a victim of circumstance or, or a larger scheme of things, when they can very easily walk away, uh, I, I just have a hard time saying victim in that situation. You know, it's, it's I don't know. I, I just think that we've gone, gotten to a point where uh, we've become the dog chasing the tail. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, just spinning in a circle, you know, over this kind of stuff. Like, uh, does, does Hollywood really believe that people like us, average Americans sitting out here watching this show are going, you know what, I'm going to change the way I've lived. Uh, I've never done anything wrong in my life like that, in that vein, but I'm so ashamed. I'm going to start concealing that I'm a man when I go. I'm going to start putting lipstick on and putting a bra on and putting high heels on when I go out so people don't think I'm a man when I walk out the door. Uh, because that's what it seems like to me. It seems like there's an absolute war on men and that we're supposed to all be ashamed because of what a piece of shit named Harvey Weinstein did. And sorry, I've never done anything like that. And to, so to, to, for you to associate me with him just because... I'm in the same sex. Well, I identify as being a woman today, so you can't blame me. I mean, it's it's, it's craziness, all of this, absolute craziness. Yeah, that's uh, you know, hey, that's your right now. You know, if you want to dress up and uh, and do that one day, you know. But in wrestling, uh, we kind of look at that and snicker. You know what I mean? We think of some <laughs> of the uh, the more comical folks who did. It. I doubt they would ever do that again today. But you think of a guy like Adrian Adonis. Who in 1987, yeah. when he completely changed his appearance, my God, he could be the biggest baby face in the history of the business if he was still around today. Oh, sure. And, and completely normal. And the funny part of that was it was completely done tongue-in-cheek, meant to be absurd. Now that's considered normal. <laughs> it's 30 years difference. You know, just three decades, and somehow we've gone from something being absurd to it being as right as rain. <laughs> and, and you got to think Kobe, too. He's sitting in the audience. He was probably shaking in his boots. I mean, there's, there's no two ways around it. He was there. He, he was unscathed. I'm sure people were murmuring, but uh, Kobe definitely, you know, I know he could pass uh, sometimes, but he definitely dodged uh, a bullet, so to speak, last night. But kind of speaking about what you just said, I, I got to bring this up. I sent you an article uh, about a teacher in Florida who had been removed from the classroom after she was accused of using a false name to host a white supremacist podcast. So when we hear something like that, obviously on this show, it becomes a very sensitive topic. But uh, yeah. Shane, what do you think about that article that I sent you? That's, uh, that's definitely another crazy story there. Well, absolutely. First of all, understand that teachers, when they sign their contract, have a morality clause. 
most American corporations today do that, but teachers have had that the entire time I've ever taught a morality clause in their contract. So obviously being involved uh, with something like a white supremacist group is going to invoke that morality clause. So if this is true, if this teacher was so stupid to do something like that, then they deserve to have happen to them whatever happens, i.e. lose their job. Uh, But I would urge caution in this sense that before we just make this leap of judgment that there's a report and accusation, therefore it must be true, let's destroy this human being. Let's really verify it first. And I I didn't get a chance to dig through the article that deeply and do research on it, but uh, if... You know, it's easy enough to do. You know, if Shane Douglas is on the computer today, on my email, or you know, using a fake name, you can find from my IP address if it's my computer or not. Uh, if they can verify definitively this person did this, then they deserve to have happened to them whatever happens to them. Uh, I'm always astounded at the people. That you know, I'm I'm Johnny come lately to technology. You know, I, in the last two two and a half years, I you know I've really largely learned everything I know about computers, which ain't much. Uh, but what I have learned, I've learned largely in the last couple of years. But I know enough to not go on if I call off work today, to not go on the computer and say, "Here I am at the beach having fun," or down at the uh, strip club or whatever. Um, you know, and, and you see this constantly over and over and over again. There was a case here, a sad case, uh, in Beaver Falls, town right next door to the franchise bunker, um, where about five or six years ago, three kids, 13, 14 years old, uh, followed a woman home from the store. She had bought cigarettes. They kept nagging her. They wanted to give her cigarette, give them cigarettes. She refused. She gets home. She tells her husband. Her husband goes out. They shoot and kill the husband. And half hour later, they're posting pictures of themselves online with a gun and stuff. I mean, just like, boy, you are retarded. You know that you know, <laughs> the, the, the prosecutors will never get you criminal masterminds. Uh, but you see this kind of stuff ad nauseum. And, and if this teacher did do that, my biggest concern would be uh, – as a, as a parent that has two children in public schools today, is my children being uh, exposed to this type of thing? Uh, now, I'm sure the teacher wasn't ranting off in the classroom with these things, but could very subtly be including those things in, in, in their lesson plans. Uh, I, again, I don't know. I didn't have a chance to dig deeply enough into, to research it that deeply, but uh, if true, just a, an incredibly stupid thing to do, and to me, I just think the whole thing in today's day and age where racism has reared its ugly head and is, you know, su- such a fiery topic today that why not get it to where, like, honest to God, in my life growing up, I didn't look at any of my friends as being black or white. They were my friends. It it, it was irrelevant to me, like whether I'm going to wear a blue shirt tomorrow or a white shirt. It, it was irrelevant as what their skin color was. It was, were they my friend or not? And, you know, now it's, it seems like so much is revolving around that, 
they're finger pointing an accusation and you make a comment. I, I retweeted something from Colonel Allen West one, uh, six months ago and somebody trolled in immediately. Oh, you're re- retweeting Colonel, Colonel West must tells you what kind of person you must be. Well, there you go. I retweeted one thing because I agree with one thing this person said, and you've now got me painted. I, I'm, you, you know, everything about me from one retweet and, uh, my God, I wish I was so prescient, so intelligent that I could look at one retweet from anybody and say, I know exactly what kind of person you are. But I think that the system by and large has set this up where it's become such a charged topic that now if you make a joke, uh, if you say something that somebody finds offensive, suddenly you're painted with a brush. And would that in and of itself invoke a morality clause? So if I were teaching right now and I retweeted something that Colonel Allen West uh, had posted, and I don't know the first thing about Colonel Allen West other than I agree with the comment that he made in that, in that tweet. Uh, but if I retweet that, does that mean I've invoked my morality clause? Let's say this guy is a screaming racist. I, I, I doubt he's black. But let's just say that he, he, he's, a, he's a flaming racist. And I retweet one thing because he says, I think it's a nice day outside today. And I retweet that. Does that suddenly mean I've invoked my morality clause because I've retweeted something from a guy that others may think is a racist or believe to be a racist, even though the comment has nothing to do about racism? You see what I'm saying about what a slippery slope this is? Uh, like I've said before, if everything is racism, then nothing is. If everybody is a sexist, then nobody is. If, if everybody's a bigot, then nobody is. It can't, it, it can't be an all-or-nothing proposition. Uh, you know, think in a, in a singular day, how many actions you go through in a singular day, how many decisions you make, uh, how many things you do in one particular day. Now multiply that over a lifetime. And I've never met you, don't know you from Adam or Eve but I read one tweet that you put out and I disagree with it or I find it offensive and suddenly I get my minions to attack you. That seems insane to me Uh, and and certainly extreme. Un-American as can be. Um, Our First Amendment rights give us the right to have freedom of speech. Uh, It also gives you the right to disagree with it. Nobody says you have to like what I say. But it doesn't mean you get to attack me and destroy me because you disagree with it, which goes back to what I spoke about a minute ago, these boycotts. So, you know, right now, the the, uh, topic du jour is the NRA. The NRA is the big baddies. They're the evil guys because they support the Second Amendment. And so... You know, you, you, you create this narrative where you see these kids that have been through a horrible experience at this high school, something I would never want my kids to go through and something I'm glad that I had never gone through, a school shooting. But suddenly you take out somebody who has throughout its history been seen as a uh, paragon of virtue for American values, and suddenly... Uh, 
you see kids from this school getting on television, kids that seem vastly more polished than I was at 16 years old. And, you know, getting on television and saying, uh, if you're with the NRA, you're against us. When I've never in my life recalled a time when life was completely black or white. Almost every decision I ever made in my life, anything that had an implication on my life, was some varying shade of gray, uh, which forced you to educate yourself to learn how to traverse through that gray. And But suddenly now, in this charged environment, immediately following this horrific uh, tragedy, at, at, at the, the Stoneman Douglas uh, High School in Parkland, Florida. Now you've got this electrified atmosphere about this, and suddenly we knew it was going to happen almost immediately. In fact, like in the Las Vegas shooting, there were still bodies lying in that park, and the left was saying, gun control, gun control. We didn't have the first piece of information about who did it, what happened. Uh, all we knew were people shot. And immediately the left goes to, see, we've got to take guns away from everybody. Hillary Clinton tweeted out, I think, 90 minutes after the shooting. And uh, it's when we start attacking the institutions, the pillars of our society, then like a table, I can knock one leg out and that table loses some stability but can still stand. But if I knock one more out, that table's falling uh, with only two. And we continue to knock these things, these pillars out of our society. Cops are all bad now. But when if somebody tries to kick my door down right now or break into my house, who am I calling? The cops. Uh, but the narrative out there right now by the left is cops are all bad. And so we, we can't trust them. So we've kicked that leg out. Now the NRA, who is largely, not largely, has completely supported American values throughout its history. Now we're going to kick that leg out. And, you know, without sounding like conspiracy theorists, but go back and read Sololinsky's Rules for Radicals. Read, the, read his list of the, the, I think it's 13 Rules for Radicals. Read through those and apply to what you're seeing today on the Grammy Awards, uh, at the school shooting, at the national level with Donald Trump and Bob Mueller, uh, and, the, and those damn pesky Russians. Um, read through that and apply it to what you're seeing all over the place in the news today. And tell me if it's not taken directly from that textbook, by the way. The two most recent ardent supporters were Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. Both were disciples of Saul Alinsky. Now, is that conspiracy theory or is it fact? Read the book before you jump to the conclusion and say, I is just part of the right-wing conspiracy. Read the book and tell me if that doesn't apply to everything we're seeing today. Just to t I want to just touch on one thing here about the uh, the teacher from, from Florida and whether or not this plays into it. She's 25 years old, and we've seen the narrative being spun from the other side that you can say whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, no repercussions. Do we think possibly the age plays into factor here, too, that 
even though they're a teacher, even though there's a morality clause that basically uh, maybe the, the millennial generation feels that they uh, may, might be above the law in, in some sure. way, shape, or form. And we've always, we've always talked about how, or you've always said too, that, you know, even the professors that you learn from, you know, if anybody tried to spin their own narrative, it's up to the, the, the consumer uh, of that information to deem either they're going to listen to everything that they say or they're going to do their own thing. But I think age may have played a factor in this. Would you agree with that? Oh, surely. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, you've had a generation that has, like I've said multiple times on the podcast, has been raised largely without discipline and structure or parameters. And now, if this teacher, if, if, if what she's being accused of is accurate, uh, doesn't think that what she's doing, remember, in her head, she can believe what she wants. She can be anything she wants. If she's watching the Grammy Awards, she, she's empowered. So why can't she have this belief? And so, see, without those parameters, without society telling you, here's how far you can go. You can do this. You can shoot a gun at a tree or at a, at a, at a uh, shooting uh, range, but you can't go out in the street and shoot people. That's a parameter. That's, a, that's a, a boundary that you can't go past. And if you do go past that, society is going to come down on you heavily, throw you in jail or execute you. Uh, but you, you have to know they're bound, stay inside those boundaries, and you can live a wonderful life, a happy life wander beyond those borders, those parameters, and there will be repercussions to a generation that has been given participation awards for uh, the same that the, that those that excelled at that particular thing. So we're, the three of us are playing whatever sport, fill in the blank. And I'm a lazy ass. I don't like training. I don't like working out. I don't like practicing. So I just sit on my ass and don't do a damn thing. And I'm, and I'm horrible at the sport. Horrible. You guys both bust your ass. You guys work your asses off. You kill yourselves in practice. You excel at, and you are the best at, in this league at that sport. At the end of the season, I get the same trophy you get. We're all the same. You're no, you're no better than me. Uh, the lazy piece of shit, the bump on the log that did nothing is as good as you to these schools that have sanitized valedictorians and salutatorians out because God forbid the kids that come in third or, or lower might shut down. It might hurt their self-esteem. Think back in your life. Anytime that you reached hard, for, you reached for something, reached high for something and didn't succeed. Did you just curl up and say, that's it? I got to give up. I, I didn't get it. I'm done. I'm shutting down now. Or did you go back the next time and work your ass off even more? Uh, I think this generation, because of the lack of those parameters and the lack of the discipline and structure and the participation awards and all the other stuff we've talked about, it could be very easy to see how a narcissistic uh, personality could, could be formed in that. Ergo, anything I believe is right. If I believe in white supremacy, then I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. Because nobody's ever, nobody's ever told me there's a boundary to it, and nobody's ever shown me a boundary to it, or that that's wrong. 
So you're wrong, not me. I can't possibly be wrong. I believe there's a lot of that at play here. And I think that's a lot at play in a lot of the things we're talking about. School shootings, the teacher in Florida, uh, the Grammy Awards. This is reeking all through it, which again goes back to Saul Alinsky. Uh, We we really are, and I know I've said this ad nauseum, I hate to keep beating this dead horse, but it's like the country has has become some queer version of itself, like a caricature of itself. Uh, you guys are too young, but I, I the, the original Star Trek series, there was an episode where Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and I think uh, Scotty beamed down to a planet. And in the midst of beaming down, something goes wrong with the transporter, and all of a sudden they, they reappear, and they look exactly the same, except they all have goatees. <laughs> cheap, <laughs> the cheap budget they had for makeup in, in those episodes. But uh, it quickly becomes apparent that these aren't the babyface Kirk, Spock, Scotty, and, and, and McCoy. Uh, meanwhile, they, 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 the next scene, they split, and the babyface, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scotty, they're in an enterprise identical to theirs, where everybody in the ship has goatees or different hairstyles, very uh, lewd outfits for the women, and but they don't have goatees, so they've been beamed into the the bizarro world, the the opposite. Uh, they're in the heel world, and the goateed ones are in the babyface world. It, it as crazy as it sounds, it seems to me that America has been beamed into. The, the heel side of itself or the bizarro side of itself because all of these things we're talking about what used to be up is now down what used to be down is now up what was black is white what is white is black there there's no way to gauge it you know it's like for instance i'll give an example in what i'm talking about my generation, God, I, I, I've heard this a gazillion times from my grandparents, from my mother and father, from my parents' friends, from my teachers, from the nice lady that works down at the grocery store. Uh, have a nice day, sweetheart. Uh, oh, honey, how are you today? Comments like that. I never once in my life ever thought that one of those people was sexually coming on to me. Uh, they were being nice, but now you walk out, you walk in out of the grocery stores, you're checking out and tell that cashier, Hey, sweetheart, how are you doing today? Or have a nice day, honey. And suddenly you, you, you can feel the eyeballs around you looking at you like you're raping a woman or something. And I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm missing the point somewhere along the line because I think it's, if I was sexually coming on to somebody, I'm going to be pretty clear. Um, me making a, a comment trying to be nice to somebody and suddenly I'm derided as a sexist or a misogynist of some kind because I said, have a nice day, honey. Um, I don't know. Am I, am I that old? Am I that outdated? Is, is it, no, is, no, no, you're not, sweet cheeks. You're, you're fine. I mean, because this seems to me to be craziness. Now, it's one thing if I'm, if I, as I'm checking out of the, uh, the grocery store and I say, hey, toots, I love your boobs. Uh, come out to the car with me. 
that's a little bit different than saying have a nice day, honey. You know, it's, uh, uh, I don't know. It just seems like we've gone through the looking glass. If you think it's kind of funny, I have to bring it uh, to, to more to our generation, even though, of course, we grew up with that Star Trek, too, but, you know, more in the rerun uh, stage. Yeah. Uh, South you were the next generation. That up. Yeah, yeah, we were the next generation <laughs> of Star Trek, obviously, uh, in the 80s. But Star, uh, South Park actually did the same exact thing uh, as an homage to that Star Trek episode, and uh, all the guys from the alternate universe had the goatee. So simple. But yet, so hilarious. Uh, a little nod to Star Trek. But come on, if you're if you're a bad person, you got to have the goatee, right? That's like a natural thing. Oh, if you're a heel, you've got to have the goatee. I mean, that's just a that's like a, a universal uh, uh, rule. You know, you if, in the universe, if you're a bad guy, you got to goatee. <laughs> Wait a second, you. You you've got a goatee. I've got a goatee. John, you've got a you've got a goatee going on there. What's that say about the Triple Threat podcast? Where's the alternate universe, heels. Shane? Where, 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 what's heels, baby. <laughs> Three fingers up. We're the heels. <laughs> <laughs> now I've been waiting to hear what you got to say about this. Uh, yet again, you know, we always talk about uh, the the parallel between the political world and the the fictional television world, and the Robert Mueller leaked hit list that is treating Trump's team like a criminal enterprise. Shane, the grand jury subpoena from special counsel Robert Mueller's team reportedly targeting the majority of Donald Trump's senior campaign team, including the president himself. Shane, what do you take? What's your take on all this? Again, hit list, criminal enterprise. I mean, we just need uh, the Joker and the Riddler to pop up in the background of one of these stories and make it that much better. Cesar Romero and Frank Gorshin, where are you? I mean, it, 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 <laughs> for, the, for, the, for, the, for the kids in the audience, that's the original campy Batman in the 60s. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this is – I mean, the insanity of this is such, so, so absurd because what have we all heard? I don't care if you're watching PMSNBC, fake news CNN, uh, headline news, reading New York Times, Washington Post, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette watching ABC, CBS, NBC. I don't care what, I don't care if it's Diane Feinstein or Nancy Pelosi or Maxi Pad Waters or Charles Schumer or whoever or if it's you know Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. Have you heard anybody say I've seen evidence that there was collusion between Donald Trump and and, and the Russians? To date, no. even the heads of the national intelligences, uh, even Obama's outgoing were saying, I've seen no evidence, but, see no evidence, but, well, no, there's no evidence, but, there's always a big but afterwards. Uh, they've been at this now for a, well, remember, we've been told since June of 2016, we're now finding out that this went much earlier into 2015 that this investigation only started, and we're still hearing no evidence, no evidence, but no evidence, but so how far do you go into this? And this is the problem with the independent counsel statute. So we appoint an independent counsel today to investigate Shane Douglas. Okay. For money laundering, we'll say, okay, well, they dig and 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 spend millions of taxpayers dollars. And they find no evidence of that. 
Well, then they expand out a little bit because they can't go back to the taxpayers and say, we spent $30 million and found nothing. So the problem with the independent counsel statute is they can investigate anything forever. So Shane Douglas is 54 years old, uh, I mean, 29 years old, and uh, we can go all the way back to his beginning and say, well, in eighth grade, he stole a candy bar at a, at a local convenience store. And I'll obviously I'm being uh, facetious, but this is how ridiculous they could get. Uh, and, and dig and dig and dig. So how, you know, you think about the Trump business empire, massive, massive big. So you start digging through there and I'm sure you can find some accounting anomaly somewhere along the line. Uh, something that was put in late or early. Uh, I'm sure there, any business uh, is going to have those types of things. But now you start digging into that. And now you come up and you don't say, well, we found an accounting error in the Trump business in 1989. You're going to come out and say, we found money of, we found evidence of money laundering or fraud. And that takes on a much broader connotation. And you start throwing and banding about terms like this. But the, here's the crazy part to me with the Mueller investigation. There are a million things crazy about it. Isn't it funny and convenient how information leaks out of there like, like water through a screen door? But then you ask them a the question, they say, well, we, we can't discuss that. You know, but it's like a, one, you know, a one-way flow of information. So now if I can tell the world JP and Chad are bad human beings, I don't explain why or give any evidence or fact to it. I just say, and then I say, well, we're conducting a closed-door investigation. But then I have my minions over here and over here and over there saying, well, somebody has rumored that one of them's a child molester. One of them has rumored there's a they're dealing drugs or whatever. And you know, this stuff just sort of leaks out and meanders out into the into the mainstream. And as we know, uh, I don't think anybody would argue that there's not a a very liberal tilt to the to the mainstream media. Uh, so you leak it out to them, and now they run with the story. Sources closer close to the Douglas investigation say so and so is a child molester, so and so is a drug dealer. You're guilty by association to some portion of the population. Doesn't take any evidence. Doesn't take any information. It doesn't even take any supplanting evidence. Uh, or, 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 or foundational information. It's just there's a whisper of something, and it sort of meanders out there. And in three or four months, it sort of dies off. But there's still some segment of the population listening to that, or that listened to that three or four months ago and says, I don't remember which one, but one of them's a child molester, one of them's a drug dealer. No evidence, nothing to it. Nothing ever comes of it. But you're guilty because it's been leaked out. We've seen this how many times in the Mueller investigation. Now, take it a step further. We've all heard with the, uh, the people that he's appointed. Now, if I start a brand new company today and I say, okay, I'm going to hire my staff, and I hire all WWE former writers, I think somebody would say, well, gee, that's strange. Shane Douglas hired all 
former WWE writers, nobody else. I, th- I thought he was so anti-WWE, anti-sports entertainment. Uh, that sort of speaks volumes to anybody that knows the industry and knows me and knows my distaste for sports entertainment. Uh, Robert Mueller, his staff is made up entirely of far left of center people, 90% of which were Hillary and Obama supporters. So in a political case, you're, you're putting very highly charged people opposite person being investigated. That's like saying tantamount to uh, we have a black man accused of murder and the jury is made up of all white men. Uh, The Supreme Court would throw that out immediately today. But this is the kind of stuff that used to happen in the court systems, Uh, you know, back when racism was what it was in the 60s and and before. Uh, So we've seen that now in the Mueller investigation. Take it a step further than that. When, you know, we're seeing now a lot of information coming out and showing some possibility of evidence of collusion, but collusion with Hillary Clinton and the Russians. And uh, remember, we had this whole uranium one thing that went on. So the selling of 20% of American uranium, when uranium is in short supply right now in the world. And I don't know if you just saw Putin's speech the other day talking about they have invincible ICBMs now uh, and invincible uh, nuclear drones. Invincible meaning they can't be shot down. Missile defenses won't work against them. Now, our intelligence tells us that, thank God, they're not operational yet, but they're working on them. And uh, meanwhile, just three, four, five years ago, Hillary Clinton, as Secretary of State, oversaw the selling of 20% of American uranium to those bad guys, the Russians. I mean, how many times since Trump was elected have we heard the Russians can't be trusted, the Russians are trying to undermine our country, the Russians are bad? I mean, it's like, you know, what was it Barack Obama said? Uh, the 1980s are calling, they want their foreign policy back. Um, you know, we're right back to the evil empire again, if you listen to the, to the liberals now. But just a few years ago, they willingly handed over 20% of our uranium supply. It had to be okay, and, that, and that's the first thing the liberals say. Well, that, was, that wasn't Hillary Clinton. That was approved by uh, uh, the, the sentient uh, 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 panel uh, made up of nine people, one of which was Bob Mueller. He was the head of the FBI at the time, and knew this was going on, and the FBI at that time had planted an FBI agent inside of these dealings, the company's doing this dealing. And this guy is reporting back to the FBI that there is money laundering going on, uh, that there's all sorts of odd things going on, that the Clinton Foundation received $25 plus million from these companies, and Bill Clinton was given three times his speaking fee to go over there and give a speech and yet they still approve it. Uh, Bob Mueller also is best friends with James Comey. He, James Comey was his protege, sort of like I'm Dominic DiNucci's protege. Now, if I was accused of something today, uh, you know, or I, I got fired and you guys fired me, 
And do you think it would be fair that I appoint Dominic Danucci to to investigate you guys? Do you think you'd get a fair shake from Dominic Danucci? Uh, <laughs> I don't think th- so. <laughs> this, you know, I'm no attorney, but I do know a little bit about law. Uh, people in those positions that have those kind of close relationships recuse themselves. That's the reason for recusals, because you have a conflict of interest. Bob Mueller has a conflict of interest based on the fact that he sat on that sentient panel that approved the Uranium One deal, that he was the head of the FBI, that he was aware of uh, money laundering that was going on that was taking place back scenes, back room in this Uranium One deal. Best friends with James Comey. Uh, uh, and doesn't recuse himself from this investigation? I mean, let, let, let's just take a swing in the dark here. Let's, let's play conspiracy theorists for a second. Let's say that there is a deep state. Let's say that there is something afoot here. Somebody's trying to do something to undermine the government. And you take a guy that's been involved in the government for the last 25 years, intimately involved, deeply involved in the government for the last 25 years, that has all of these connections. And now what we're finding out with the Uranium One deal and everything else Mueller sitting on the sentient panel, uh, having the whistleblower telling him all these na- illegal things are going on behind the scenes, and yet he still votes yes to sell the uranium. Uh, Hillary Clinton's emails, uh, you know, all of this, uh, James Comey oversaw. You see, what I'm saying? it's like a tangled web of bullshit that clearly Mueller should have recused himself. When Rosenstein offered him the position, he should have said, I can't. I'm best friends with James Comey. I sat on the sentient panel. Uh, uh, I can't say publicly, but on classified information, I was involved in things with the Uranium One deal that would preclude me from sitting on, on a special, uh, you know, an independent council, as an independent council. Uh, there's, uh, th- this thing stinks to high heaven. Uh, it, it goes to the heart of why I've always not believed in an independent counsel, not as currently written, not as a statute is currently written. When you give this person a blank check and a blank mandate with no parameters, I can go investigate anything. I find out that you cheated on a test in ninth grade when you were in high school or a freshman year in college. Now I've got you for, uh, uh, unethical behavior, and I, I can dig into anything, anything in your past, pull it together and just sort of create whatever narrative I want, and then I pull you to interview and say, Chad, uh, did you ever cheat on any legal document? And you say, no. Now I've got you for lying to the FBI, because I, I know that you cheated on a test in your freshman year of college. Um this is crazy. You know, if, if there is, look, if Donald Trump colluded with the Russians, I damn well want to know, but I want to see damned evidence of it. Not you telling me he colluded with them and keep telling me there's no evidence, but just believe me, he colluded with them. And, and now this narrative that has been told so often, so many times daily for the last year and a half, two years. And, once it's been talked about that ubiquitously for that long, it takes on a life of its own. 
And so even if you, if God himself appeared right now and said, here's the evidence, there is no evidence of any collusion. Donald Trump did not collude. Some percentage of the people that listen to that shit will still walk away and say, well, either God's got it wrong or he's lying. There will be some percentage of people that still believe it. And what it's doing is, like I mentioned before, it's bifurcating the country, cutting the country in half, whether it's 50, 50, 60, 40, 70, 30, whatever the percentages are, it's cutting the country in half. From my historian's point of view, I haven't seen the country this separated since 1860. If you go back in your history books and look at 1860, that was right about a few months later that a thing called the Civil War broke out. Sounds crazy, right? Turn on your television and watch some of the things that's going on in the streets. Kids at Berkeley, California at college are burning the campus down because there's a right of center speaker coming to talk in a country that espouses the belief, a deep belief in the First Amendment right. Um, there was uh, some place today, I forget where, but there was some place today where some ultra-right uh, uh, right-of-center speaker was talking and fights were breaking out and near riots and you know, police had to converge on the place. Look, nobody says you have to agree with somebody's point of view. If the KKK comes to town today to talk, we can all make throw barbs at them, yell at them, you know, turn our backs to them, or better yet, not even show up, ignore them. But what we don't have the right to do is we don't have the right to attack them, physically or otherwise. Same if Black Lives Matter show up today. We don't have to agree with what they have to say. We can hate what they have to say. Uh, the same as with the KKK. But we don't have the right to physically uh, or violently take action against them or verbally take action against them other than, uh, you know, yelling, you know, whatever we want to back in protest. But we don't have the right to disrupt their right to their freedom of speech. As much as that may dismay millennials and Generation Xers today, uh, that's what your First Amendment right means. And I find it odd that they don't believe that because they want to tell us that it's okay for them to dress up like women if they're men, men if they're women. If they're men that want to use the women's room, that's fine. Men want to use uh, vice versa, that's fine. They want that right. Remember, they scream out diversity, right? I mean, we're supposed to be all inclusive. We're supposed to accept anything. But what they really mean with that is everything but your point of view. I want you to agree with everything I believe in, but nothing you believe in. And that's what their definition of diversity is. Uh, again, I go back to the Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall song. If, you know, it's either you be like us, think like us, act like us, and look like us. Remember at the uh, SAG Awards, I think at the, Grim, at the uh, Academy Awards last night, they were all supposed to wear a certain color. You know, what you didn't wear the color you're supposed to wear. You're a bad person. You're a bigot of some kind of sexist or racist. Uh, this is craziness in America. Craziness. <laughs> it is crazy. And Shane, I just want to throw this in here. We're we're almost approaching the two hour mark already. 
So we had talked about maybe bringing up the uh, the story about the tariffs, but I would want to see if we could shelve that because we're going to uh, we got a couple more things to cover. Is that cool? We'll come back to that maybe next Absolute, week. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll have more information by next week too. But yeah, let's let's move on. All right, awesome. Just one more thing here. Let's get back to wrestling, uh, and it's pretty interesting because it has uh, it has one of your favorite things, and it's somebody having Vince McMahon by the uh, proverbial grapefruit, but Brock Lesnar's WWE contract has said to run out of dates because he was not at Monday Night Raw last week. <laughs> Beginning the build to WrestleMania, okay, but he was photographed with Dana White in Las Vegas last weekend, which was the home of where WWE's last pay-per-view was. So now right. with a house show taking place this past weekend, Brock Lesnar appeared and wrestled in a 35-second match against our good buddy, uh, the Big Red Machine, uh, Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane. But yes. Brock Lesnar having Vince by the balls, has it backfired on the chairman? And now are we going to possibly see something like this play out with, uh, with Hot Ronda uh, with another UFC fighter and Ronda Rousey maybe having them in the same position at some point? Well, you know, first of all, shame on the WWE. I mean, this this happened to them, what, with Jeff Jarrett years ago in China, right, that somebody wasn't paying attention. As many people as they yeah. have worked in that office, and they have hundreds, I would seem to think that when you're your top paid guy in the company who has a contract that gives him a, an extraordinarily limited number of days and appearances, that somebody may want to keep an eye on that, Um you know, I would think with computers today, you, you could even set it up to say, okay, ding, this morning, you know, Shane Douglas has one week left on his contract or one appearance left on his contract, whatever that may be. Uh, so I find it implausible that, that they could be that unprofessional. But, look, kudos to, to, to Brock because Vince has held everybody over the years that he could to a standard that he himself doesn't apply to. So, uh, you know, where, like, for instance, if Jeff Jarrett hadn't at that time had let his contract lapse or if he had alerted them and said, hey, my contract's expiring um, and, and wouldn't have been able to get them by the cojones like that for that, you know, that brief moment of, of, uh, of leverage against them, then you know what they would have done with him. They would have sent him out there to make him look like an idiot. And... So for Brock Lesnar, who's already got an extraordinary contract, I don't fault the guy for that. Kudos to him for being able to get it, that he has that kind of leverage. Because I assure you, Vincent Mann would never, out of the goodness of his heart, pay Brock Lesnar what he's paying him. He's only paying him that because if he didn't pay him, he wouldn't be there. And uh, obviously Brock is a big attraction for them. So it does my heart good. It warms my heart nicely. When I see that Vincent Mann's cojones and stones are caught in a vice for a second uh, because of the way he's treated so many of the people. And I've told the story about Ivan Koloff before. Um, you know, if Vince, truth be known, if Vincent Mann had the leverage against Brock and Brock would try to pull this, he would s- stomp on Brock's balls and would make damn sure he, he gave Brock a good stiff lesson. Um so to see that Brock has been able to do it back to him, uh, every wrestler out there that's ever been screwed by Vince right now is golf clapping for, for uh, Brock Lesnar. But that said, 
to me, there is a, an aspect of professionalism that we should all exhibit. When I dropped the belt to Taz, knowing that I was losing my leverage with the company, uh, my thought process then, and I stand by it today, was that I wasn't going to screw the ECW fans that had been so vociferously loyal to us and me as a heel uh, to build that company to try to get somehow get back at Paul, uh, my personal beef with Paul based on money. Um, so I went out and gave a, a hell of a performance, you know, in passing the belt on, as did Taz. The for Brock to go out there and put in a 35 second performance, yeah, you you know you gave Vince a middle finger, and that's there's a bit of that that really, like I said, warms my heart. But you also screwed every fan in that building that night. Um, that the, each of them paid as much money as if you had a hundred appearances left on your on your contract, and each of them paid that money to come and see you because they're a huge fan of yours and they want to forget about their nine to five job, their shitty spouse at home, uh, their jerkwad neighbor, whatever the case may be. They're there to forget about life for those couple hours. And so for you as the big money guy to go out there and put in 35 seconds, basically walk to the ring and stamp it and walk back out. Um, that to me doesn't flush as a professional. You know, we can have our professional beefs on the side and uh, disagree with the office and, and, and fight at times. But to me, an appearance is an appearance. It's not 35 seconds. So you go out there and you put your time in. And to me, he'd be a god right now if he'd have gone out and put 30, 40, 50 minutes in and put on a clinic. And then walked out and said, okay, Mr. McMahon, we're, we're, we're square. I'm good till the next cycle of the contract or the next contract. I don't know where it stands. But to go out there and say, okay, I have one appearance left. So all i got to do is step into that ring and then walk out. And by definition, I made that appearance. Yeah, you fucked Vince, but you fucked the fans more. Now, I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, and so are you a little bit, Shane. I'm just curious if, if – hear me out on this one for a second, but I'm just curious what you think about this. What if this is all a work by Vince and by Lesnar to really finally get Lesnar over as a heel because he always gets cheered and to finally get over his WrestleMania opponent, Roman Reigns, as a babyface? Because if you look at that Dana White-Lesnar picture, I mean, it could have been that day in Las Vegas, and a lot of reporters are saying it was, but – a black and white picture it kind of could be an older picture of those two i don't see lesnar's uh his scar that he has underneath his i guess it's his left eye he's got a has a big scar i didn't see it in that picture but the black and white kind of threw me off i really couldn't tell as closely but call me crazy and he knew the 30 second squash was going to piss off all the fans do you think possibly it's some kind of conspiracy theory to get reigns over as a huge baby face beating lesnar on the way out it's possible, but if so, then the heat switches back to Vince because then Vince fucked the fans. You know, the, the, length, the, the length of the timing of the match is a screwdriver over the fans no matter which way you cut it. Right. So if it's, if it's Brock or it's Vince doing it, 
it's a screwdriver to the fans. And if I were a fan that paid and found out that this was just a work by the company to try to get somebody else over, I don't care about anybody tomorrow, next match, uh, next week, next month, next year. I want to see this match right now. That's what I pay to bring me and my kids and my family to see. And so to put it on the fans, do you think the fans would have uh, not bought it if, you know, Brock went out there and put in a 35 or 40 minute uh, clinic, if he could do that. uh, And then, you know, walked out, you know, without a finish of the match or whatever, Uh, you know, to me, the the you know not that there's any specified time that delineates a great match or not, but obviously 35 seconds is a screw job to the fans. And I didn't see the picture with Dana White. I only heard about it. Uh, so it, it's very possible that that's what it is. But again, if if that's what it is, then Vince fucked the fans. And from where I sit and 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 what I know of their ever-dwindling uh, pool of consumers, their fan base. Ten years ago, it was larger than nine, nine larger than eight, and right now it's lower than it was next last year, and next year it will be lower than it is right now. You can't fault the fans if you keep screwing them on stuff like this, whether it was Brock doing it uh, because he had the leverage or Vince doing it because he was trying to trying again to get somebody else over um to me you, you never succeed by by screwing your consumers so if i'm selling whatchamacallits and i want to sell more whatchamacallits and i have some lame-brained idea that if i put out really shitty whatchamacallits right now and put out a new one next next week i can sell more of those well the ones that bought it today do you think they're going to come out to next week and buy the new one if I put out a shitty one today, uh, it's just not good business. And, you know, quality in, in this industry is based off of the performances that you see in the ring. So whether it's the company decided to do it, these are the events, or the talent doing it because he has leverage to Vince. Either way, no matter which way you slice it, the fans are getting fucked. It is, it, you know, it's just a crazy conspiracy theory on my part, but I love just throwing that out there. I wanted to know what you thought. Yeah, it's it's a little far-fetched, but I, I just, when I was looking at it, I was like, what if this is some elaborate way to get Roman Reigns as a true baby face? You know, you never know with Vince, and, but you're right. Uh, he is kind of screwing the fans uh, along the way because Lesnar's going to have a couple more house show matches, and I guarantee they're going to be all less than a minute as well. Yeah, and, you know, now, to be fair, you know, I, I keep saying 30, 40, 50 minutes, like the, the time frame I have in my head of great matches. But, you know, Brock has never been a time guy. You know, Brock's never been a guy that goes out and puts that kind of time in. But 35 seconds is is so egregiously low that, uh, you know, that, I mean, that's, you know, basically stepping into the ring and ringing the bell and then doing something and walking out. Uh, you know, when you turn on an NFL football game, even though they sometimes get long, you sure as hell don't want to see them kick the ball off and the referee blowing the whistle and saying the game's over. You know, it's uh, you've got to put some semblance of time in. This is an entertainment industry, and nobody pays big money, especially, I don't know, you know, 
the, the prices that WWE is charging for their seats now and, and some of these buildings, uh, five, six hundred, a thousand dollars, twelve hundred bucks for a ticket. Imagine if you took you and your family to go see that match and Brock walks out there, you spent two or three thousand dollars for ringside seats and you get a thirty five second fuck you. Uh I, I'd be a little upset. Now, do you think that at all, whatever's going on with Lesnar and Vance and WWE, you think that will have anything to do with the way they push Ronda Rousey? You know, both obviously former MMA stars and with Lesnar kind of wanting to jump back into MMA, supposedly. you think that will affect any way Rousey and the way she's pushed? Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know Ronda. I've never met her Um uh, I've heard she's she, she's she's a good guy, you know. So I, I don't know much about her other than what I've heard. Um, she seems to me to be pretty diligent and hardworking, uh, just from you know an outsider looking at and watching her career, both in UFC and and beyond that in movies and things. Uh, she for a while there she was every place, which means she was busting her ass. Um, but if she has, if she was smart, she'd have had somebody that negotiated Brock's contracts or somebody familiar with how those contracts were negotiated because she certainly came in with probably better leverage than Brock had, you know, because Brock was never that, uh, that huge number one star for a protracted period in UFC. You know, he was there, and then he got sick, and then he was there, and then, you know, lost and was out again with the, uh, 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 what's the kissing disease? Uh, oh, my brain's for the right now. The kissing disease. Uh, uh, mononucleosis? Mononucleosis, yeah, when he, when he was gone with the mono. Um, you know, so he, I, I, I don't think on a comparative level that Brock, and I don't want to make it sound like a, detracting from him, but for for a while there, Ronda was like the talent in the UFC. You know, she was like the biggest star they had, bigger than even the male stars. Um, you know, and took the sporting world. Ronda Rousey was like the sports star on the planet for a year, year and a half. And uh, I would, if she had, had the same, whether it was the same people or people familiar with the way that Brock's contract was negotiated, I'm sure she would have negotiated in those same kind of things. Now, does she have the same wherewithal, the same personality to say, well, I'm going to fuck Vince and, you know, if, if that's what Brock did uh, and use that leverage and come and go as I want and appear as seldom as I have to and work as little as I have to, I don't know. Uh, but if she did uh, negotiate that kind of a contract, then you could pretty much bet that whoever is guiding, whoever management is, is going to tell her when that time comes, hey, just go out there and put in the bare minimum uh, or don't show up or threaten to not show up for leverage. Because it's all a game at that point. When you're, when, you're, when you're getting to a contract that's based on an incredibly scant number of appearances and you've met that, now, you, you, you know, if you've got three left, well, <laughs> hell, three, you can knock three out in, in three days. Um you know, and if you, you know, who knows if the con? I don't know if the contracts are awarded, but it could, it, it might be that if you make an appearance on a TV show, you go on ESPN and talk for five minutes. 
that might be, you know, considered an appearance. Uh, So if she can do it, if she ends up with that point, put it this way, as a human being and knowing management at that level of sports, uh, like I think I know it, at some point she will invoke the same thing. Um, And she'd be stupid not to because you watch Brock off of this whether it was Brock fucking Vince or Vince fucking the fans, Brock is going to come off with a better contract than he had the last time uh, when the contract gets renewed. And the lesson then to Ronda Rousey will be, you'd be a fool not to do the same thing unless you want, unless you're happy to get less money in your next contract. Now it's time for a little ASA, a little ask franchise, anything. And this is kind of a, easy one, a cut and dry one. But when I was looking through some of the things I was thinking of, you know, what's relevant today. And obviously today, Hillbilly Jim was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. And this was a whole thing related question, but um, just real quickly, um, Hillbilly Jim, how, what, what did you think? WWE Hall of Famer. Great guy. Uh, Jim, I've known Jim since I was there in 1990. Uh, Jim's just one of those, you know, there's a handful of guys in the business that are always smiling, you know, just always just going along and easy to get, get along with. When I was there in 1990, uh, Jim and I, you know, Jim wasn't on the road a whole lot, you know, so it wasn't like he and I ran the roads a lot, uh, like, like say Carrie and I did at the time, um, or Ray Trainer and I did at the time. But uh, when Jim was on the road, uh, he and I did travel together, you know, a handful of times. Uh, he took me, I remember he took me to a, uh, in Las Vegas, a Willie Nelson concert. I love Willie Nelson. And this was not long after the original Farm Aid, like a year, year and a half after. And, you know, people were still talking about the Farm Aid pretty, pretty heavily. And we, we go to this show and, you know, in the wrestling business, you, you know, especially at that time from where I'd come into business, you didn't necessarily associate that somebody was, you know, tight friends with a mega superstar like Willie Nelson. So I'm thinking we're going to get there and we're going to have seats and everybody be like in the balcony or the back of the room. And we get there and we have front row, like <laughs> we're like sitting against the stage, you know, uh, you know, private booth, uh, all the drinks we wanted, everything. Willie Nelson is like, six feet from us as he's performing. And after the show ends, Jim gets up and says, let's go back and see Willie. <laughs> it's like, like, hey, let's go back and see uh, Dominic, you know. Just, so we get up and we go to the back, and when, uh, uh, you know, Jim's a huge guy, very, very big guy. And uh, we walk by, and Willie Nelson's a tiny guy. I mean, like, ex- extremely diminutive. Uh, a very small guy. And uh, he sees Hillbilly Jim comes over and gives him a great big bear hug. You know, it's like a, like, like a midget, you know, hugging Andre the Giant. You know, it's uh, – but what a down-to-earth guy. You know, Willie was just the guy next door. You know, just a, a really cool guy. Very – and you could see it in Willie's eye. He was very, very happy to see Jim. And which I think spoke more about the Jim that I know. You know, it's uh, – uh, just he's one of those guys that's always smiling, uh, always asking you, you know, how how you doing, how are your kids doing, 
not, hey, how's the business or how, you know, where were you last night? Uh, he's asking you things of, you know, human being things, personal things. And uh, so when I saw that he was getting inducted today, uh, I was very happy for him. And I'm, I'm even more excited because uh, I've got a, a friend of mine that meets me at the uh, library every, uh, every week. And uh, I, his sister I, was, a, was a student of mine back when I taught him Beaver. Uh, his name's Josh. Uh, he has Down syndrome, but he's a great kid. I mean, he's very comes in every. He knows more about this wrestling business than I know even today. And he comes in every week and he apprises me of who got inducted, you know, who's who got announced. And so I know he's going to be hugely excited because he's a big hillbilly gym fan. So when I saw that Jim got inducted, I said, I can't wait to see Josh this week because he's going to be he's going to be bouncing off the walls, you know. And uh, uh, but I'm, I'm happy for Jim because I, to be honest with you, when, the first thing I thought when I saw his name being announced was he's not already. I, I, I would have thought he was inducted a long time ago because he was one of those guys that's been with Vince for a long time. And, you know, he's been one of those guys that Vince has used like an ambassador and he's always had him out there. And I was, I, I had thought in my head that he was inducted some time ago. And I, obviously I was wrong. So funny. That was literally everyone that I talked to today. That was their. Um, that's what they said to me. And oh, I thought he was interested. Oh, he was interested. And it's just funny when we interviewed him last year. We interviewed him around this time last year. We said to him, "Future WWE Hall of Famer." So we were a little clairvoyant there. We knew he was going to be in. Ah. But it's so funny. So many people thought he was already in. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, I. I, I that, again, that was my first thought. When I saw it, I thought, oh, I thought he was. And then, I re- then when I realized it, I thought a bit, obviously, I thought it was great for Jim. You know, it's uh, happy for him. But this question here, this AFS, this AFS franchise, anything, was pretty simple. It's from Joe D. He sent it in via email. He just wanted to know if franchise, if you were inducted into the WB Hall of Fame, would you actually accept the induction and go in, or would you pull a honky-tonk man and just say no? Right now, uh like I've said ad nauseum online, uh, I, I would, as it's set up right now, I would not accept. Um, I don't want Vince to hand me anything. Uh, not for any heat or anything like that. I, I to me, it's just, uh, to, how do I explain this? To get handed something from Vince to me means nothing. And it's nothing against Vince or anything. It's just, It'd be like me saying, okay, uh, JP, you're the greatest journalist in the world. Well, Shane Douglas saying that and you really being that are two different things. Uh, but if if Vince would seed the induction process, the selection process, to some variation, whether all or nothing, but the fans, the writers, the other wrestlers, other inductees, if those people, if, if a, a, a consortium of those people were deciding and my name was in, was selected, uh, I'd be incredibly honored by that, uh, you know, to, to have that kind of stamp of approval, stamp of recognition from your peers, from the fans, from the people that have written about our business. Uh, that, to me, is so much more valid then Vince McMahon saying, okay, Shane Douglas, I'd bequeath on you today, uh, you know, all of fame induction. So 
Uh, and also the fact that Dominic is not in there, I would feel uh, that I was being disrespectful to Dominic, even though neither of us had anything to do with the decision. But I, I, I can't go into the Hall of Fame before Dominic Peducci does. I mean, this guy certainly deserves it. As so many others like Ivan Koloff and a lot of other guys deserve it. And uh, so I, st- I stand by what I've said publicly and, and until it's uh, a process that's selected by writers, wrestlers, uh, other inductees, or uh, 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 fans. Certainly the fans would have to have a voice in it. And I, I got to tell you, that's probably replaced parts of the uh, the standard questions that you used to get uh, is the Hall of Fame induction. It's really uh, something that's on a lot of fans' minds uh, these days. But I'll tell you what, if you want to have your question answered by Shane on the show, please email us at thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com. Again, it's thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com. This show, you know how to get it. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Podomatic. You can get it on Podbean. You can get it on Player FM. You can get it on iHeartRadio. You can get it on Google Play. You can get it anywhere you want to get your podcast, even Spotify. I mean, Shane, there's a thousand of these things now that we could just keep rattling off one after the next after the next. But I, I'm rushing for the sake of time, but i got to throw this in here. A little operative was going on today via the uh, the Twitter world after you had uh, very uh, mysteriously logged off. Somebody else logged on, and a question was asked to a certain uh, ECW uh, diva if, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is, uh, is the franchise scared to have Francine come on the Triple Threat podcast? And the response by the, this ECW diva was, who knows? He's probably afraid that I'll steal his th- his thunder. You know what they say, out with the old. So there's a little wow. fire. Wow. Yeah, there's a little fire getting thrown Ouch. by the uh, the queen of extreme there. So uh, well, the, the feud is heating up via the podcast world. Well, truth be known, I'll see, I, 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 in, in, in full fairness here uh, of, of disclosure, I was going to invite Francine on the podcast tonight, but she had already posted on Twitter that she was going to be watching some movie tonight, and I thought it would be rude of me to ask her to come on the podcast when she had already posted. I'm sure she's going to watch with her, her kids, and I don't want to intrude on her. And so, But I, I was just getting ready to go on and ask her on Twitter, and I saw that post, and I thought how rude it would be for me to interrupt her family that with her kids. <laughs> Well, that that's very nice of you. We, uh, I think that everybody can just really tip their cap and appreciate your kind gestures. But one thing that uh, you know, Francine. What, well, I was going to say one thing that Francine and maybe the uh, the other two guys on the the, uh, the Triple Threat podcast may uh, may be cooking something up when you least expect it. So uh, I don't know. There's a little cliffhanger for you. Well, you know, as far as like the thing about old, I I would you know. To paraphrase uh, an idol of mine, I would never ever take my uh, the Queen of Extremes youth and inexperience as a detriment to her. I would just uh, uh, leave it at that. Her youthfulness and her inexperience is not something that I would take advantage of. <laughs> Very nice. Well, before we get into wrap up here, I just want to let everybody know. Please head to our website which is TMPT of wrestling. 
www.thetripletreatmentor.com. You can get all the information about the Triple Threat Podcast on there, including YouTube links like we were talking about earlier, download links as well as the links to the Triple Threat Podcast T-shirts via ProWrestlingTees.com, as well as clicking on the TNPTCon 2 tag on May 19, 2018 here in Richmond, Virginia. TNPTCon 2 will be coming your way, and all the information is on TNPT of Wrestling. Dot com. If you want to get in touch with Shane on Twitter, it's at the franchise SC. If you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, it's at Two Man Power Trip. And please continue to support us. Continue to share your words with us and, and get those questions in. And let's keep building this uh, little podcasting uh, empire that we've got here and uh, and build it to great heights. So Shane, as I do at the end of each show, I'm going to hand it over to you. Tell us where you're going to be and also take us out in the only way the franchise can. Well, this, this, this is a great weekend for the franchise because I have not just Friday night off, but Saturday night off. And so I'm going to get a lot of time to spend with my kids this weekend. But Sunday, I'll be at XICW in Detroit. Uh, looking forward to getting back up there. I've been back up there since uh, the big show they had last fall. And uh, so that's where I'll be this weekend. 38 great episodes behind us and lots and lots of information. Like you mentioned earlier, uh, Chad, the, uh, the tariff stuff we'll get into next week. Uh, and I'm sure between now and then, there's going to be a ton more information come up. God knows that we, we we may have impeached Donald Trump by then if you listen to the fake news by uh, today. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know where you can tune in each week to get the information on professional wrestling, a unique perspective from the franchise on professional wrestling and sports entertainment, and all the world news. So you go to Choice next week, episode 39, you can tune in, or you can get your ass franchised. <laughs> thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling what the world is downloading